0: Welcome to another episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. Greg, it's Monday, June 13th. We've got a few more primary days still before elections take a little summer vacation in July. Uh, We're going to discuss some of what's happened and what it means for what's ahead. We were there with 99%
1: of the precincts counted. Number of other key down ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look... House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation.
0: From Washington. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. To kick things off, Greg has another Jerome's gem.
1: That's right, Jerome's gem is 33. That's the number of congressional districts that Joe Biden or Donald Trump carried by fewer than 5 percentage points in the 2020 presidential election under new maps enacted by legislatures commissions or courts in the 44 states that needed to redraw lines after the census because they have more than one congressional district. If that sounds like a low total, that's because it is. The 33 districts decided by fewer than five points amount to fewer than 8% of the 435 congressional districts, and it's much lower than the 51 districts that were within five points under the maps that were actually used for the 2020 election. This means we're going to have fewer politically competitive districts this fall than we might otherwise have expected in a redistricting year, when many incumbents have to run for re-election in territory where they're not well known and sometimes have to run against each other. The drop-off in districts decided by fewer than five points was more pronounced on the Republican side. The number of districts Trump carried by fewer than five points plunged from 30 to 18, in large part because some Republican legislatures and states like Texas, redrew the lines to shore up their most vulnerable incumbents. This isn't to say there are going to be just 33 competitive districts this year. Far from it, some districts in that subset won't be competitive, and others outside that tight bubble will be competitive. In a midterm election year that's more likely than not to favor Republicans, I'm closely watching the 23 districts that Joe Biden won by between 5 and 10 points, and even some of the 26 districts that Biden won by between 10 and 15 points. In most election years, Democrats wouldn't have to break much of a sweat to keep those in the party fold. But in this political environment, Kyle, Republicans are competing for many of them. And that's your Giroux's Gem 33.
0: All right, up next, we're talking midterms and maybe a little 2024. This is Bloomberg Governments. Down ballot counts. 20 states have held primaries so far, starting with Texas on March 1st and most recently in California and several other states on June 7th. There's a few more tomorrow. All right Greg, I want to take your temperature here. What is more likely as of June 13th uh, Democrats hold the Senate or Republicans pick up 25 seats in the House?
1: Well that's a very good question Kyle and um, can you ask me in about five months November the 13th instead of June the 13th? I'll have a much a better answer for you but in all seriousness, you know I think you know Republicans gaining 25 seats in the House is uh, a very real possibility at least as of today. Um, there are just so many districts where, um, as I mentioned in Giroux's gem, where uh, Democrats or uh, Joe Biden won by you know fewer than 15 points, that are really much on the table uh, for Republicans. Um, and yes, the Senate is 50-50, and there are you know some competitive states where Republicans are defending Senate seats, you know Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, for example. Um, I would still rate the Republicans uh, probably the, the, at least a slight favorite to win control of the Senate. This year, And certainly they're a strong favorite to win the House. The big uh, question, I think, Kyle, in the House is, is it going to be a, a good night for Republicans or a great night? 25 seats does seem like a lot. And there is kind of an upper bound, I think, or uh, ceiling for Republicans, in part because they actually came really close to winning the majority last time. And there isn't a huge number of competitive seats. but you know, um, I'm not sure which one's more likely today, uh, but uh, certainly Republicans getting 25 seats is not outside the realm of possibility. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder on
0: the Senate side, my thinking is this is not a bad map for Democrats. They are, you know, they're defending seats in traditionally Republican states like Arizona and Georgia. But, you know, what's going on in Arizona on the Republican primary over there? Um, And in Georgia, they just got Herschel Walker, who I promise you, Democrats have uh, more dirt uh, from his background that they have not released yet and they're waiting uh to bring it out at the right time and Raphael Warnock has been running pretty good campaign it, you know Mark Kelly's no slouch either you just look at his fundraising um so anyway i think democrats have a uh, a very serious shot to hold the senate uh which is unusual though not unprecedented uh in a wave year for the other party uh, it, it has happened uh, look at 2018 republicans picked up a seat or two, uh, as Democrats won 40 house seats. So, uh, should be interesting. I don't know which one's more likely either. Um, but I bet Republicans picking up 25 seats has a slight edge right now. All right. I want to talk about some of the issues, the reasons why Democrats are in this position. Um, uh, democratic strategists I talk to say inflation, consumer prices, gas prices are issues one through 10, basically on voters' minds. um, And, you know, that's that's just really it's it's how uh, voters are looking at Joe Biden. It's through that prism. Um, And that's why his approval rating as of last week, last time I checked Real Politics was like 39 percent, just historically bad and and not a good sign for Democrats. Um, I think the question for Democrats is how much some of these uh, other issues that are kind of on the margins, like guns abortion, January 6th, these are things that are cropping up right now. How much do those serve as motivators for Democrats' base to turn out? That's always their issue in the midterm.
1: Yeah, that's the big question. I mean, we are uh, kind of expecting a ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court uh, on uh, Roe v. Wade. And of course, that leaked draft opinion that came out a couple of months ago garnered Widespread attention, and to what extent will that uh, motivate Democratic voters? It could motivate some Republican voters even because they, you know, a lot of Republicans want to see Roe v. Wade overturned because they can parlay that into, you know, passing anti abortion measures in the states. Certainly, there are a lot of Democrats who, um, you know, most Democrats uh, want to see a Roe v. Wade uh, upheld. They don't want to see it uh, overturned. But the big question is, you know, for how many uh, voters kind of sitting on the sidelines will this be? Kind of the issue that kind of gets them off the sidelines and and voting on it. How many single issue uh, abortion voters are there really out there? Like who would who would vote in the election or otherwise wouldn't? I think that's a that's a big question. Um, you know, public safety is going to be a big issue, and that encompasses a lot of issues, including but not limited to you know guns and gun safety. But you get back to what you originally said, Kyle. You know, inflation and uh, high prices, high gas prices, and food prices—they're just—they're very real. They're very visceral to people. Something that you know, something every, just about everybody has to. Uh, you know, so many people buy gasoline for their cars. Everybody has to eat. Uh, high housing costs, high rent. Everybody has to live somewhere. And uh, those, I just think, are much more real and visceral issues to voters than some others. Yeah,
0: and I think they're also more persuasive. Like th- they have a better chance of changing someone's vote from D to R than I think guns, abortion, and January 6th. I feel like people are so dug in on those issues. Um, those are more likely to bump turnout than change someone's mind. All right, let's go to Trump because I think that's another big storyline in in these primaries. You know, speaking of January 6th, his his legacy is um is in let's call it a rough patch right now his presidential leg- legacy uh during these hearings uh, there's another one uh happening uh this morning uh, as we're recording um but his i think his potential 2024 comeback bid is is keeping his influence over the party pretty locked in uh, his endorsement record isn't perfect this year, and it's clear he cares about this because he's now backed both candidates uh, in the Alabama Senate runoff uh, that's tomorrow. Uh, the per- first person he endorsed in Pennsylvania uh, dropped out. He has his guys in Ohio, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and the Georgia Senate races, but the Georgia governor race was this was the biggest whoops for him uh, all year. He went all in for David Perdue, uh, who lost to incumbent Brian Kemp in a landslide. Um, But would you say his clout is about to get tested in the House like never before tomorrow in South Carolina?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think the big test for uh, Trump comes uh, tomorrow in South Carolina where he's backing uh, two uh, challengers to Republican incumbents, uh, Nancy Mace in the 1st District, and Tom Rice in the 7th District. Tom Rice is one of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump over uh, the ex-president's role in the January 6th, 2021 attack on the Capitol. Uh, Rice has also vigorously defended his vote to impeach Trump, including to a lot of national media outlets. And so he's not hiding away from this vote. And of the six House Republicans uh, who voted to impeach Trump, who are running for re-election, Rice is really uh, the first one to face the primary voters in a race where Trump has clearly intervened. Trump really didn't do much in a race last week in California where Congressman David Valadeo, who had voted to impeach Trump, uh Went, uh, got through the primary, it looks like, and uh, albeit unimpressively. Uh, But yeah, this is a race where uh, Trump clearly is backing an alternative uh, candidate. Uh, His name is Russell Fry, he's a state representative. And uh, yeah, this is a real test for Trump, I think. You know, his, uh, as you mentioned, his record uh, is uneven with endorsements you know, and his super PAC hasn't spent much money if at all in these races. So it's just hard to, I think, quantify how many votes uh, Trump's endorsement can really bring. But a lot of Republican candidates still, of course, feel compelled uh, to run pro-Trump campaigns and messages.
0: So he's also endorsed in member versus member races. We have six total this year. And so far, the more moderate one lost. That was we've had two so far and the more moderate one lost. What's that mean for Illinois coming up in a couple weeks where we have two member versus member races?
1: Yeah, that's right. We have two in uh, Illinois on J- June the 28th. We have a Democratic primary and a Republican primary. Uh, the Democratic primary is between Sean Caston and Maureen Newman. This is in uh, a metropolitan Chicago. Newman has more of a home court advantage, although the two prime, member versus member primaries we've had, uh, the candidate who represented uh, more of the merged district lost in both cases. So it's it's one factor, but certainly not the most dominant one. Then you've got the Republican primary where um, Trump has intervened to back Congresswoman Mary Miller over the more senior uh, Republican Rodney Davis. And uh, that district, Miller has about 31% of the population, Davis about 28%, so kind of a wash there. But that'll be a test of uh, Trump's uh, influence there. And Mary Miller has touted Trump's endorsement uh, as she seeks to defeat her more senior colleague, Rodney Davis.
0: Yeah, Davis, a committee chair. So that always makes uh, these these races more intriguing.
1: All right. Another race on our
0: radar tomorrow is not a primary. It's a special election in Texas's 34th district. It is the first round of the special election, but not a regularly scheduled primary.
1: Is this our only or most competitive special of the year? Yeah, I think it very well may be. Most of the most of the specials we've had have been in pretty much one-sided districts. This one uh, is an exception to the rule. This is in Texas's thirty-fourth uh, congressional district, which is in uh, it's in the Rio Grande Valley, Hispanic majority. Used to be very heavily Democratic, but Republicans have made gains there uh, in the last three or four years. And that seat got vacated when uh, Democratic Congressman Philemon Vela decided to resign. We have a basically what could be a first round special election tomorrow. You have uh, one dominant Democrat, one dominant Republican, and then uh, one other Democrat, and one other Republican. Everyone runs on one ballot and you have to win a majority of the vote. So it's going to be, I think, maybe tough for one candidate to win a majority. But there, is a, there certainly is a chance of the, Repu- the dominant Republican candidate, Myra Flores, uh, winning outright. And so, if no one wins a majority of the vote on Tuesday, there would be a runoff election, uh, likely in August, between the top two vote getters. And those two top vote getters would be Myra Flores, the Republican, and Dan Sanchez, the Democrat. And this is the old 34th district before redistricting, because this is still to finish out an unexpired term in the current Congress. Uh, the, the district, as you know, currently composed, only voted for Biden by about four points, and in a, in a political environment like this, that's going to make it very. Uh, Ripe for a takeover by the Republicans. Uh, Democrats basically say, well, if Myra Flores wins it, she'll have the seat just for a, a few months. Because in the November election, under the new lines, uh, the 34th district is much more Democratic. And there's actually the Democratic congressman from the current 15th district, Vicente Gonzalez is moving over to the 34th to seek a full term there. And the Democrats feel like uh, Flores would uh, would lose to Gonzalez in November, even if she happens to win on Tuesday.
0: All right. Speaking of special election runoffs, we will have one also up in Alaska to replace Don Young. Uh, first, First batch of ballots counted over the weekend, Sarah Palin, Republican, Nick Begich, Republican, and Al Gross, an independent, all appear to be advancing to the next round. That leaves the fourth slot for a few potential contenders here, including everyone's favorite Santa Claus.
1: (laughs) That's right. Yeah, so this was a really interesting race. Um, So Don Young, when he passed away in March, that created a vacancy for a seat he had held for almost 50 years you know, more than three-quarters of Alaska's statehood. So talk about pent-up ambition for a seat like that, Alaska's only U.S. House seat in the Congress. And 48 people ran on one ballot, and um, the top four advanced to the August 16th special general election, which will be held under ranked choice voting, under which voters can look at those four candidates and basically rank their candidates in order of preference. And it's a very unique system that only Maine uses in uh, federal elections. But uh, Sarah Palin, the former governor of Alaska in the 2008 Republican vice presidential nominee, uh, looks like she'll place first there and move on easily to that August 16th election. You have the second place candidate, Nick Begich, Uh, Moving on, and he is a Republican businessman from a very prominent Democratic family. In fact, his grandfather was the Democratic congressman of Alaska before Don Young, and then Al Gross, who is an independent who aligned with the Democratic Party when he ran for the Senate in 2020, ran against Republican Senator Dan Sullivan. Looks like he has the three spot, and the big question is who gets that fourth spot. Uh, There is a, you know, there is a, a Democrat and a Republican, and then in sixth place currently. Santa Claus, who uh, is a town councilman in North Pole, Alaska. His name really is Santa Claus legally, and it really is called North Pole, Alaska. It looks like um, uh, St. Nick will f- fall a little bit short, though, under under the current uh, vote totals because he's in sixth place. And Kyle, need to be in the top four to advance to that uh, next round. Well,
0: I can tell you who my kids are rooting for. All right. I want to end on this. I want to end on 2024 because we've had a couple interesting stories just come out. Uh, on 2024 presidential politics in the Washington Post and the New York Times. You've got a Republican shadow campaign happening, and you've got Democratic frustration with Biden. And I just wonder how much the midterms are going to play a role in whether Trump or Biden run. Trump's clearly trying to illustrate his strength within the party with all these endorsements. He's even switching endorsements like in Alabama, as we mentioned. And then Biden, a midterm crushing would just add to the, you know, the legislative misses and his um, trouble dealing with inflation. What do you think? Do you think the midterms are going to play a, a role? These guys are both obviously a little bit older, you know, so there's going to be a lot of factors into this. But uh, how much do you think midterms could, could factor into it?
1: Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I mean, I think they could play a factor. It's hard to say, um, as you intimated, um, if Joe Biden takes a shellacking in the midterm elections, you know, I think that probably will... Maybe intensify some of the talk that maybe the Democrats will need a new uh, standard barrel. Although I want to point out that midterm elections do not are not predictive of what happens in the subsequent presidential election. Look at you know 1994 when uh, Bill Clinton's first term, uh, you know that that election was a disaster for the Democrats and Bill Clinton came back and won uh, re-election. Obama 2012 versus 2010. Um, you know Biden may be a little bit different just because yes he you know he is uh, going to be 80 in November. Um, and there's probably always going to be a little bit of chatter around that. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, with Trump, um, yeah, I don't know how much credit he'll get for Republican victories in the midterms. I think just with historical trends, the Republicans were kind of uh, favored to do well anyway. And if Trump hadn't even been a factor in the midterms, I think Republicans would still do quite well. Uh, I think these January 6th hearings will have, you know, more of a bearing on his image than uh, than a lot of things. And um, waiting to see what. Uh, Uh, what becomes of that
0: yeah there's gonna be a lot of turnover in both parties especially if those two don't run we've got you know democratic leadership in the house that looks like it's gonna uh it's in for some change um and if biden doesn't run you know who's gonna be stepping up to run instead that's something we can talk about another time all right we'll leave it there for now but we'll be back talking midterm dynamics all year I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg Government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination in 2020 before endorsing Joe Biden. Down Ballot Counts was produced by David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigsted and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. Talk to you soon. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court, the filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Bloomberg Law's Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon of the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.